2: the paranormal ufos monsters mysteries you're listening to talking weird and now from a cabin deep in the north woods your hosts dr dean bertram and jen Durrell. Everybody and welcome to Talking Weird on the Untold Radio Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dean Bertram, and joining me tonight is the always amazing, spectacular, beautiful, and super smart genderelle.
3: Good evening.
2: <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day.
3: Happy St. Patrick's Day.
2: And to everybody watching. Mm-hmm. And this is the funny part for yes. those of you, for those of you watching, this is how stupid I am. I went to get a green hat because oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Right. And I have an old kind of promo Midwest Weird Fest hat for the festival that I run in Eau Claire that just wrapped last week. Pulled that mm-hmm. on. And then, of course, we use green screen technology here right. on the Untold Radio Network. I didn't even think about it. So my head, wherever it's green, is kind of just disappearing into the background. So I won't make the mm-hmm. audience suffer it the whole night. But And I look at your flashing I, lights. Yeah.
3: i had the same thing too. But mine are green, so you can't even can't even that's tell a, they're green. They're just a, blinking gray.
2: It looks like an, uh, a bad <laughs> effect on like an old Doctor Who episode or yeah, something. It's... Some old 1970s British TV science mm-hmm. fiction. All
3: shamrocks.
2: Fantastic. I might even swap mm-hmm. my hat out now while you can talk about your shamrocks, I guess.
3: My shamrocks? There's nothing special about my shamrocks. <laughs> Switching the hat.
2: You lost me for a minute. I had to take my headphones off. Yeah, I do like them though—the flashing shamrocks. Well,
3: they're they're a little distracting. So yes, you probably need to, you probably off. need to
2: turn them off and take them off. I guess just like yeah. I had to do with my hat. Speaking of Midwest uh-huh. Weird Fest, that festival just wrapped. Now we're going to talk about some St. Patrick's Day goodness, but we only just press released the winners of Midwest Weird Fest today. We're actually doing a pre-record. So we're recording on St. Patrick's Day proper. You're yeah. watching probably this on the 18th, people watching it live, but we're recording on St. Patrick's Day. Because it's St. Patrick's Day, so why not? So I thought I'd just go over the winners of the festival very quickly because you were there. You got to see some of the films, maybe not all of them, but you got to see some and you got to meet a bunch of the filmmakers. Did you enjoy the festival, by the way?
3: Yes, I loved it. I had that's, fun.
2: That's good. It was a, fu- it was a fun festival. So the winner of the, the, I don't think I've talked about this yet. Have I talked about the Palma Dior yet on Talking Weird?
3: Not on Talking Weird. I don't think you have.
2: No, I think on Mysterious Library, the show that I do with Jason McLean Tuesdays at 9 Mm p.m., we talked about it. But we introduced an award this year at the festival. I talked to you about it. I talked to Jason about it. I'd spoken to a friend in Hollywood, a producer, uh, Stephen Wallace, about it. and. Mm -hmm. We wanted to kind of increase awareness, I suppose, or at least memorialize the memory of Raymond Palmer. Now, people who watch this show and Mysterious Library might even be getting sick if (laughs) you talk about Ray Palmer. Of course, Ray Palmer was a famous editor of pulp magazines in the 1940s, particularly Amazing Stories, which he increased the circulation above and beyond any other pulp in that space at the time, through clever editing style, through good choices, and particularly through something called the Shaver Mystery, where he introduced a series of stories, some of which early on he helped write. I believe later they were less ghostwritten by Ray Palmer, but stories from a man called Richard Shaver, who claimed he'd had experiences with this malevolent, underground race with this advanced technology who tampered in the lives of humans, sometimes abducted them, had been living under the surface for millennia. And there was they were called the Deros. There was also a good race called the Teros. Anyway, this predated UFO belief. So when UFO belief dropped in 1947, or when people started seeing flying saucers, at least in 1947, Palmer and Shaver said, aha, this is kind of proof for this advanced technology we've been talking about. Richard Shaver has written about the flying saucers before, and sure enough, on the cover of Amazing Stories, long before Kenneth Arnold's famous sighting in June of 1947, there'd been illustrations of what were literally flying saucers. Anyway, long story short, Raymond Palmer in many ways has been all but forgotten. Sci-fi fandom had problems with the way that he edited with his selection of stories which were more buck rogery's more buck rogery type stories adventures and action fights and you know beautiful women and crazy space adventures they wanted more of a hardcore science fiction based on science and later on the ufo community in many ways didn't like some of palmer's early suggestions where he was suggesting et's might come from or not ETs, flying saucers might come from below the earth and or they might be spiritual. He he always was quite open-minded and looked at all these different alternatives. And I think he was a bit of a contrarian as well. He liked to have disagreements with people. So in a way, he was written out of the official UFO history and also written out of the official science fiction history. I found out when I moved here, even having been aware of Ray Palmer for years and having written about his significance in my PhD dissertation, I certainly wasn't the first person to note this. People like John Keel had noted it. Donald Menzel, the great skeptic, had noted it. Even the FBI back in the day thought Richard Shaver and Ray Palmer had invented flying saucers. But that said, when I moved here to Wisconsin, I found out he lived down the road from me for a large chunk of the last 25 years of his life or something. I said Richard Shaver for about 10 years. So I kind of almost took it upon myself with the collaboration of talking to you again and Jason and and Steve that if we introduced an award at Midwest Weird Fest, recognising Ray Palmer it would be a way to memorialise him when so many people have forgotten him. So we introduced Palmer Dior. This is becoming a very long story. But the Palmer Dior was to recognise excellence in the field today and also to memorialise essentially Ray Palmer and recognise Excellence in the field, when I say the field, I mean both science fiction and the paranormal and UFO belief, because Palmer was central to the development of lots of things in this space. Anyway, this year, Melissa Tittle, who people might know as a producer for several years of Ancient Aliens. She's also obviously one of the hosts on um, UFO Witness. We had her on the show. I think it was the second show we did on Untold Radio. Is that yeah. right, Melissa? I think on. so,
3: too. Yeah. mm mm-hmm.
2: Anyway, she came to the festival with the world premiere of her new film, Code 12, which kind of suggests we're living in perhaps a simulation or reality is a little more complicated. She talks to various researchers and scientists and the like, fascinating movie. Anyway, she was awarded the inaugural Palma d'Or. Yes. So that is the first winner. I'll try to go through the rest quicker. Uh, Mark Polish's film, Murmur. I've been a big fan of Mark Polish for years, one Best Film. Kick Me From Your Neck of the Woods from Kansas City, Hi. Kansas. One Best Director for Gary Huggins. Mm -hmm. Accidental Truth from Ron James and MUFON. And I've had Ron James on Talking Weird, talking about Accidental Truth not that long ago. That one Best Documentary, fantastic. Just a a cutting-edge kind of wrap-up. If you want to know what's the developments in recent UFO thought and recent UFO machinations, it's just a top documentary. We will premiere it. Hopefully it'll get a release soon. I think it's going to be the most important UFO documentary of this year. Best horror film was won by follow her from director Sylvia Kamina, who came to the mm-hmm. festival. She's an Emmy award winning director. I think she's won a couple of Emmys. Just a fantastic twisting horror film. That was also the first closing night film, hundreds of beavers, which I know you mm-hmm. enjoyed, right? Mm-hmm. Just hilarious. One best yeah. comedy <laughs> film. The Diabetic one, Best Experimental Film, this kind of lo-fi drama about a, a diabetic's night that just spirals as he kind of wants to relive the crazy antics of his youth. Fantastic movie. Logger, very nightmarish film from Belgium, won Best International Film. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot and Marty, I had Ronnie Ferguson on Talking Weird and Jason and I also talked about the film Bigfoot and Marty on mysterious library so people can come back and check either of those episodes that won independent spirit award rightly so it's a really heartfelt fantastic documentary about marty akatz who's michigan the the up which is in michigan the upper peninsula that area's poet laureate and he's also got a fascination with bigfoot it has and it also features people from a bigfoot community like ken gerhard for example in a great mm-hmm. documentary that won, again, the Independent Spirit Award, and it was the world premiere at Midwest Weird Fest. Break, spelt B-R-A-E-K, won Best Male Performance for yeah. Kevin Interdonato's fantastic performance of this menacing home invader. And Kevin came to the festival. He also co-wrote that film with the director, John Fallon. Best Female Performance was run won by Senni Pretty from the amazing Australian film, Your Love is Mine, which we did the international premiere for. Welcome to Kitty Town, which is just this hilarious post-apocalyptic buddy movie, won Best Supporting Male Performance for Robert Bryn Mann which is just an amazing movie. Break also had another win, Best Supporting Female Performance for Alex Lane, who plays the traumatized, damaged teenage daughter in that movie. She's just fantastic. And we mightn't go through all the shorts, but there's so many fantastic films. One other short I will... I'll mention two shorts because we've had guests on talking weird from those films before the conspiratologist one best documentary short which is about the life of conspiracy researcher and ufo researcher norio hayakawa just a fascinating human being who again he's been a guest on talking weird and jason and i discussed that film on mysterious library a couple weeks ago you can actually watch that film now on vimeo so go and check out the conspiratologist it's free on vimeo it's like a 30 minute documentary it's amazing and also fred chrisman cave of the space nazis from um, brian shickley who i've also had on talking weird just a hilarious animation which deals with ray palmer of all people and richard shaver and the titular character, Fred Christman, fighting Deros, those underground evil alien-type beings like I mentioned before, an amazing documentary. So that's an amazing animation, rather. So that's just some of, I guess, some of the films. And I know you loved, mm-hmm. mind you, you loved the music video, which won Best Music Video, right? Yes.
3: Yes, that was a really cool one. I like that
2: one. Fantastic. Let's eaten yeah. by Andrew Paul Davis. Anyway, I think there's something like 26 awards. People should go and check yeah. them out on MidwestWeirdFest.com if they're interested. That's the wrap up. The awards mm-hmm. of the festival. Yeah. What was, was your some. highlight? Yeah. What, what was your highlight of the festival?
3: Well, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch all of the movies because we were so busy. But mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, but I, I enjoyed sitting down and watching a what was it, Night of the Cooters?
2: <laughs> that one best short film, Night of the yeah, Cooters, but, uh, is fantastic. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio stars and directs um elias who is another star and producer gallegas is how you pronounce his last name i might have got that wrong he came to the festival and it's yeah. produced by it, it's executive produced by george R. R. martin the mm-hmm. creator of game of thrones so it was wonderful at the okay. festival to hear like feedback from george he was not there but watching afar like how you know excited he was and he was sharing photos and things just just that was pretty exciting Great movie. Not yeah, out yet. So weird. people are going gonna... like to. Yeah, I like. It's so a Western War of the Worlds mashup <laughs> it's kind awesome. of. Awesome. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think it's rotoscope, but it's some kind of animation on top of yeah. live action. Yeah. Very clever. is mm. great in that as well. Yeah. My goodness. He's so yeah. good. So good. <laughs> just fantastic. We were going to talk about St. Patrick's Day, though, originally. That was our first intention when you said, hey, let's just talk about St. Patrick's well,
3: Day. Yes. I know. Um. So, I mean, a lot of people don't even know what St. Paddy's Day is even about. I mean, it is more of an American holiday, right? So everybody just thinks it's just a day to celebrate the Irish.
2: That's kind of what it is here and drink green beer, right? Or maybe that's in Sydney. People put, do they put food? Well, yeah. In I mean, that's,
3: that's the way it is in America too. So um, I ended up trying to look it up a little bit. And there's just so many different stories about St. Patrick's Day. Um, I, I think it was first celebrated in America. I, I think it was 1601, and that was like in St. Augustine, Florida. Oh, so, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, and then it, they said that uh, the Irish they didn't really um, have a, a parade until like 1903. So it, it's more of a, a American holiday. Huh. Yeah, and. Cool. And the Saint Patrick person that it's it's named after is not even Irish.
2: I did know that he's British originally, he, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. wasn't yeah. he captured Wasn't he captured or something like as a, he was like an aristocrat from Britain back in like the fourth century or fifth? I don't know when was mm-hmm. it was it the four hundreds, five hundreds? It was like well over one and a half thousand years ago. Do you know that? Yeah. Name?
3: Yeah, fourteen hundreds, I think. AD no, no, I something. think like the
2: four hundreds or five hundreds, right? Like it was pre-medieval. It was well, like well, no,
3: in- I have well, it depends on what video you watch, but I had down fourteen sixty something AD, but who
2: knows? Really? No, 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 it was much before that.
3: Okay, you look it up.
2: I'm gonna have to <laughs> now. You put me on the spot, but I, I mm. mean, I think it was like four hundred something, right? Like, oh, that's this serious. is this is like the this is like when the Roman Empire is kind of ble- bleeding out, so christianity hasn't taken over europe yet that's what he's so famous about by the 1500s as far as i'm aware all of europe was pretty much christian when saint patrick was snatched i don't think he was a christian at first yeah he was born uh 385 a.d and he died 461 a.d
3: yeah so the video i watched obviously didn't know what they were talking about who knows there's so much different information on the internet so. Who
2: knows? That's yeah. very true. But essentially what happened is he was Brit- a British aristocrat who was captured, I, I believe, and, kind yes. of, That's and, what I... and turned into a slave by these Irish marauders. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was a Christian originally, as far as I'm aware. I think he kind of converted to Christianity where, properly when he was in enslavement and had these spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's all these legends which have risen up around him like with most of the saints. You can read any book about, you know, a a famous saint. And normally you can't tell what's real and what's not real, Mm -hmm. but perhaps one of the things he's best known for is driving the snakes out of Ireland, right? Yeah, but there's
3: no snakes in Ireland.
2: Yeah. Apparently it was too cold for snakes. Okay. So hang on a second. So
3: I was watching some other stuff too. So, um there's a lot of myth- mythology um celtic mythology so a lot of people had mentioned that since there's no snakes in ireland and it makes no sense for that story um there was a mythological creature that was like a snake and so some of the stories are that he actually conquered that that um, wow. creature and that's the snake they're talking about i can't pronounce the name i think i have it written down here somewhere
2: like a reptoid or something, a reptilian?
3: Um Yeah, the names are so hard to say. Um Quir- no Irish name Quirthana, Quirthania,
2: something like that. I don't actually know.
3: But it was some female that could that could be turns herself into a snake or some other creature too at the same time, but I guess that's the metaphor for driving the snakes out. I
2: don't know. Wow, like devil woman or something. I wrote yeah. a screenplay once about a woman who was a reptoid. Really? Featured screenplay, yeah.
3: Doesn't
2: Medusa have the snakes on her head too? No, it was kind of a comedy, but she was a reptoid. Oh, again. a reptoid. Like, figure. Long story. Cause a spent <laughs> youth, I guess. But also there is, I think, the more traditional explanation is that the snakes represent paganism. So he converted Ireland to wow. Christianity. And as a result, drove out the pagans. And, of course, pagans get quite upset about the holiday. Like I see other people. I see, I saw pagans sharing anti, you know, uh, St. Patrick's Day Well,
0: stuff yeah,
3: because he's the one that brought the Christianity over to this. He was supposedly the reason for it was to save the savages, and that's the same thing that happened in America. So, <clears throat> if you think about it. <clears throat> with yeah. Christianity. But,
2: well, in some ways.
3: Yes. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. In some ways, I suppose. Ways. And of course, the I, one thing I, I I, actually, I think I knew when I'd forgotten and then I relearned today when I was doing a little bit of research is the Irish symbol of the clover apparently became so potent because it was meant to represent Patrick's dissemination of the idea of the Trinity. So the three-leaf clover represents, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And of course, Catholicism was... And it remains, I believe, the primary religion.
3: Yeah, it I think it is. Roman Catholic. It's
2: it's it's interesting though. I didn't know that America was the first place to celebrate it. So you're positive about or you're fairly sure about that. I have no and I I honestly don't know. I have no idea.
3: Um according to a couple of videos that I watched that were talking about it. So
2: interesting. I don't know. That probably should
3: have Wikipedia it or well, something. You can't I don't tr- know. You can't even
2: trust Wikipedia. No,
3: you can't. Anybody. Or the
2: internet. It's, it's just, funny yeah. that you said it was in Florida, though. I would I would have imagined it was in like New York or Boston or somewhere we traditionally think of as having a well, fairly large Irish population. It is
3: odd, and I kind of wonder if that's even correct. So 1601,
2: like maybe I don't that know. was the maybe well, there might have been some French Catholic influence there in 1601. I don't think there would have been a big Irish Catholic influence in 1601. I don't know. I don't know, a lot was, of Irish was,
3: fled to the Americas, so I don't
2: know. Well, I think the big Irish intake is because of the potato famine, which is much Mm -hmm. later, right? Like a lot of Irish fled during the potato famine, and I think that's when America got its biggest Irish intake. Again, this is someone who's – Yeah,
3: I don't even know what year that was.
2: It was much later than 1601, I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
3: I thought 1601 was pretty crazy too. (laughs) I wrote it down, and I'm like, there's just no way. 1601? I don't know
2: i'm plugging in potato famine these are things i should know but i actually don't
3: well if you don't Ireland
2: is great yeah it was between 1845 and 1852 so yeah a couple yeah. Hundred years later and that i believe coincides with the first great waves of irish immigration to the united states of america okay who
3: knows maybe they meant 1801 and i
2: just um wrote me oh, well, down we're all uh, we're all learning together I it's funny so. how these Irish symbols become almost like that. I don't know. I wonder. How, maybe they love it. I wonder if you were a traditional, old-fashioned Irish person, what you would think of people dressed in weird little green leprechaun hats. I think they or, find
3: it comical because they said that the color isn't green, either, like it was blue or something for oh. St. Patrick's Day, or or St. Patrick always wore blue, not green, or something like that.
2: I don't know. Yeah, no, tell me a little bit more about that. That's fascinating. I,
3: that's all I remember them mentioning, so. That is I can't, interesting. I can't give you much about, you know, I should know some of this because I do, I am Irish. <laughs> but I'm from America, so I don't know the culture well enough.
2: Well, we both we both have Celtic blood running through mm-hmm. our veins. That might be where we go I'm Welsh too. I think I'm predominantly Scottish, but I think there's some Irish in there. It's the same thing anyway. It's the Celts. Yeah. You know, there was this... Mm -hmm. I think originally, ironically, the Celts, I think, come from more centrally Europe, and then there was this kind of immigration over
3: Okay, yeah. So I watched a little video about that, and they were saying that they are mainly from North Africa and Middle East. Um, They went over there. um, Really? Ancient... Yeah. So... I don't think I wrote this down. So there was there's a video on YouTube where they had recently found a a grave and inside the grave was an ancient Egypt prince.
2: And where was sorry where was the grave where the ancient Egypt it's, prince was? It
3: was in Ireland somewhere and I guess the area that it was in was actually some type of royalty or whatever. So they were a little surprised to find that type of, of grave. Oh. So, there's more people that have uh, put out more information on YouTube stating that that's where um, a lot of the Irish came from, was from that. So, you'll find a lot of Irish people that have the dark, dark eyes and the dark hair.
2: Like like me, even though I was Scottish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A funny thing so, is, I think when you, when, sometimes when you do ancestral DNA stuff, you supposedly, I've never done it, but you can find you have bloodlines from all over. Like you can have a family story that you're from here, but then it ends up you've got things from, you know, all over the place. So who knows? I mean, my family story is kind of a Scottish, British, French one, but I've never done a DNA test. So who yeah. the devil knows?
3: Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do one. I should do
2: it. Of course. Just it's a weird thing. The weird thing as well, of, you should, we should both do it. That's something we should do for fun. <laughs> Yeah. And read the results on Talking Weird. Mm-hmm.
3: I've traced but, my history, but I haven't gone too far, like 1500s or anything. I don't know anything
2: See, here, here's the thing. If you have, and everybody does, if you have one female in your line who had an indiscretion with somebody other than a husband, it changes your entire line. It changes the entire history of your, yeah. mm-hmm. what you might think your genetics are from what's talked about the official history. If your great grandmother had actually been with somebody else, sounds horrible, but it means Mm -hmm. that your family genetic history might be entirely different to what you have
3: been told that it
2: is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's if you look at the history of humanity, how many times have there been those indiscretions Mm. and have things been so mixed up? But you know what does fascinate me on a slightly more metaphysical and weird level, talking mm. about Ireland and talking about Celtic migrations and other migrations, is, of course, in fact, I've heard contradictions, but one of, the, one of the popular versions of Irish mythology is there isn't so much a creation myth as there's a myth of ongoing replacements via hostile migrations, Mm-hmm. So the Celts, the Gaelic people, are the last kind of migration there. And before that, you have the Danon, mm-hmm. the Fair Folk, what supposedly became the Fair Folk, battling a, a, a previous, I suppose, race of
0: people it? who oh, lived yeah. there. And uh, then the Gael's
2: came, the, the, the Celts giants, came. The Giants, by the way. The Tua de Danan, no. or No. What are they, the Forimi? How do you pronounce that? I don't want to even try.
3: But. Um, the four. For- yeah. Meridian? Yeah. Meridian?
2: They're, the they're the pre-tuited. They're the pre-tuited
3: Yeah. Yeah. There was that. So, like, there was all these different stories of, <laughs> where the they were there first, and then I guess the fur blog or blog b o l g mm-hmm. were there as well when they had showed up, and so they all kind of had a battle for their rights of the land. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of fighting. And then it even said that the – how do you say it? Did you say or Isn't it –
2: I don't know. It, it looks like Tuatha Tadanan or yeah, something. But yeah. I think it's, it's, different people pronounce it differently. I think it's Tuatha Tadanan, but I've heard different versions. And I've mispronounced yeah. it many times. I think yeah. it's Tuatha But you could yeah. pronounce it Tuatha Tadanan yeah, or something. Yeah, I've
3: heard that. Like I, I watched a couple of videos before and I'm like – Wait a minute. Each person said it differently, so it's the correct way. Uh, But no, they even mentioned that they interraced with the the Fulmarinians. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to watch.
2: Normally the the history of conquest is the history of people intermingling. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if if that ancient – irish tradition is based on some type of memory of rural waves of invading immigrants that there would have been people intermarrying between the different Mm -hmm. waves of people who came to ireland yeah
3: but they were they were more like the dark supernatural creatures though they're the ones that are from the sea and so they had to kind of get them back into the sea or get them away so that way they could take that land well but they were supposedly giants mm -hmm.
2: For Merenians, or how we pronounce it, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that? Yes,
4: mm-hmm.
2: it's all difficult to to pronounce. But of course, the Tuatha Dé Danann is where we get the idea of the fair mm-hmm. folk from. Yeah, that they went underground. They came to some kind of impasse, or they were defeated by the gales. And yeah. the the modern Irish, I suppose, took the the above ground area of Ireland, and the Tuatha Dé Danann took the below ground, or perhaps they went to mm. a space. Just beside, um, like the fairy hills and the forts, right?
3: Yeah, like the mounds where they would, yeah. you know, bury the dead is what a couple of the videos said that that was kind of the areas that they went to.
2: Um, but they also said
3: that they were more considered a more like a uh, fallen angels.
2: Well, there's those theories as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's one of the popular theories, you're absolutely right, and Eddie Lenehan, who we still have to have on this show, he said yeah. he would do the show and we still we have to work out a time we can book him. We mm-hmm. should have done him for St. Patrick's Day maybe next yeah. year. Yeah. But he tells the wonderful story, and I'm not even going to try to tell it because he tells it. People should go and, and find on YouTube Eddie Lenehan telling this yeah. story where he says that um, they opened – the kind of the floor, like at the bottom of heaven, they opened the kind of floor and to, you know, so Satan would fall. And then mm-hmm. so many angels started falling. Mike was like to God, we've got to close the doors. And they close the doors. And then when they close it, whatever angels are still in heaven and angels is a misnomer anyway, but let's use yeah. the traditional language, mm-hmm. whatever angels in heaven stay in heaven and whatever angels have gone to hell are now in hell and whatever angels are in between, that's where they stay. So mm-hmm. in Ireland, for example, if some had landed in lakes or in locks or whatever they might call them in Ireland, what is the name for, it's locks in Scotland, what's the name for a lake in Ireland? There's probably yeah. a name. If they were in the waters of Ireland, that's where they would have stayed. They would have become the the fair folk of the waters. And if they were, you know, on the in the woods, they would have been the fair folk of the woods and they'd been on the hills Mm -hmm. they would have been the fair folk of the hills but yes that that the type of supernatural beings that we talk about as fairies Mm -hmm. are a result of that fall which is fascinating and that might be a a comedic way of dealing with the genuine descent that you and i have talked about a number of times of some type of watches being you know thrown out of or or not able to return to their place in heaven because of You say are done on earth that they shouldn't, so it fits mm-hmm. in. It does fit in biblically, but then there are other older traditions which are just the idea of it competing waves, and again, eventually the gales defeat or come to an impasse Pass with the previous race that lived in Ireland, and as a result, you get the fair folk. So there's all, there are these different stories about what actually happened. Yeah. So,
3: yeah, fascinating uh, though. All of they even mention like there's two wars in between them too. Um, <clears throat> the different
2: beings. Tell, tell, one, me about, tell me about that.
3: Um, well, I'm horrible. Like, I, I just watched a couple of videos. <laughs> there was a... So they, they mentioned uh, the three that we talked about, the four minions, and then the uh, two of I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. I never know either. Okay. Uh, okay. And so they had mentioned that um, there was this other creature that came about that um, ended up uh, fighting... Um, yeah i'm no good at this so that creature had like one one eyeball so he's a mythological creature and i think like i've seen movies with him before
2: like a cyclops in greek or roman mythology
3: yeah and so it was him fighting with another um another one of the um poor minions i guess trying to battle who was going to get the land that kind of stuff
2: Huh. Um, that's interesting because the Cyclops might be related to the Titans in Greek mythology, and they kind of predate the gods. So there's a few traditions which line up with the Irish one, that they're, a, they're yeah. a, an earlier race of other supernatural beings that then fight yeah. a later race of supernatural beings.
3: So I – okay, I look back and I found it. So it was the Tuadana or however you said it.
4: <laughs>
2: and so
3: um, – their first king was Bretz or something like that, I guess. Um, and he was half uh, a And I think that's the one that ends up becoming Balter um, or something. So they call him Evil Eye. And then um, Lug or L-U-G-H, he was also a Forminian as well. And so that's the one he fought. And that's the first war. The second war, um, let's see if I can find it in here. Uh, it's more well-known, though. I think that's when it's um, who gets to stay with the two of Dana. But I, I don't remember who who won it, though. And I don't huh. have my papers, though. So I'm horrible. Well, we'll have to get somebody I, on here that knows all this stuff because I'm not yeah. the best person.
2: I, I mean, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> I'm not either. But, of course, the two of Dana actually means the, the children of Danu, right, or the children of Dana, or. Not sure how you pronounce it like there was a goddess and they were meant to be the descendants of i think that's literally the yeah. translation of Tuatadana, right children of dana mm-hmm. i'm probably mispronouncing even dana but i can't see you've leaned off there.
3: oh i know i'm sorry i'm trying to read sorry okay. <laughs> I'm,
2: like, I'm, like, where's Jen I'm
3: so blind
2: <laughs> oh tell me about i have readers here as well my goodness
3: but no, and the, and one of them that I watched said that there was the giant, the, like there is an actual gene in um, most Irish people that links them to gigantic, you know, giants. Can't really? Say right word. House. Yeah, so it said uh, there's a genetic origin to that, and it's an AIP gene. Huh. So there's uh, several of them that have that, so it links them to
2: giantism that's interesting you so, know in, in in one of the whitley streber books i think it's like transformational breakthrough one of the one or two after communion he references some book that's never been published but he'd read the paper of somebody who'd translated allegedly extraterrestrial gray language like type of beings that supposedly mm-hmm. abducted whitley, and it was gaelic That's pr- I mean, yeah. I don't. I, whether that's all just like not true, it's fascinating the idea because it tr- it has that then connection mm-hmm. to the fair folk and the type of genetic things that you're talking about and and you said you're Irish. Look how haunted you are by weird things. Mm-hmm.
3: I know it, and I, and I was kind of worried about even looking up all this stuff today and then talking about it today because I'm like, oh, great.
2: <laughs> you think they're gonna come there? We or go. just yeah,
3: why not? why not? Everything else does.
2: <laughs> so, so you're expecting? Um, like, what do you think will come? Oh, I don't know.
3: I mean, I've had I've had like little tricksters and stuff here before, and then I had that vision of that one thing that popped up. It was just the craziest thing.
2: Tell us that story. That I thought again, I, thought I thought, not, not everybody's probably heard. I don't even
3: sure. remember what I was doing. I was in my bed and reading or something like that, and um, I was. I don't know, just getting ready to turn the lights off or something. And as I leaned over to put everything down and was getting ready to go over to this side of the bed to get out of, I saw a vision of a a being looking up at me. And uh, it really what? stuck with me for several days because I even was like searching the internet, trying to find the right thing to look fairly close to it. And
2: what did it look like?
3: um uh, i have a picture somewhere on my but i'm not going to search for it now but it had the kind of the normal goblin-esque type um creature looking face like a little earthbound spirit just you know you would see a possible fae, i guess um would look like but more of a goblin-esque one so i was trying to figure out what type because there's like a huge list of different types of fae folks so I think it was made me kind of think of a, a picture I saw of the knockers.
2: <clears throat> Tell me about the the knockers, like the Tommy. I knockers. don't
3: know that much about them, but they're just called that. They're more trickster types, and so when I play around with my my ghost tube, it's automatic. Anytime I get poke, that pops through, um, it'll start going negative automatically. So I would, I just assume it's one of those.
2: Huh. mm mm-hmm. huh. I wonder if the goblin thing you saw is similar to the thing that used to disturb me when I was younger. I'm like, again, I've, I've often said it might just have been a bad dream, but something goblin-esque consistently visited me when I was about five.
3: Yeah.
2: And I wonder if my Gaelic bloodline has something to do with that. And yours has something to do with your visitations. I don't know. Oh, hopefully
3: you
2: can't hear that train. (laughs) Oh, there's a big train going through. Mm-hmm.
3: There. I can mute.
2: I was only watching the Waltons with my daughter the other uh, day. She's she's back in the Waltons yeah. again, which is great. And John Boy hears the train in the distance, and he always gets kind of, you know, toey. I guess like he wants to be traveling. You know, like he feels. Well, toey has different when different meanings one of the the meanings is that you're kind of um you know you're just restless and you want to you want to be doing something and he he says that whenever he hears the train whistle and i guess if you lived in a rural area and you never traveled anywhere that particularly back in the 30s that train whistle would have been like
1: oh well yeah
2: where's this thing going Mm
4: -hmm.
3: i used to be able to hear the the train all the way um when i lived on that farm for a while in the middle of nowhere you'd hear the train and the train's like 15 miles the other directions it's kind of crazy when you get to hear
2: it oh i love the train whistle and see those kind of the idea of hearing a train whistle particularly back in the day where you were isolated isn't unrelated to the fairy stuff we're talking about because so much of that legend was able to develop because people did stay in rural they were They mm-hmm. were very much in touch with their own surroundings and the mysteries of their surroundings. And some of these things have disappeared, I think, in modernity. How many yeah. people really, truly believe in the tua Ad today or the fair folk today? I think there are several people. I think there are some people in the field, and there's probably some old school people in Ireland. But as I'm talking about, as a broad belief system, like it would have been yeah. Ireland a hundred years ago. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, I still believe. If Ed Schultz was listening, he'd make yeah. a Peter Pan I mean, reference. You. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, you should see my front lawn. I it's it's full of. Um, little fairies because my daughter loves stuff like that. And, uh, but I'm obsessed with gnomes. So I have faith of all over my, my front lawn. Like I can't go like where I, I work at a decor store in town and we have gnomes everywhere. And it's like, why? Cause then it's like, I have to pick one. I can't take them all. Cause like I will be totally in debt because I just want them all <laughs> cause they're so cute. But those are just figurines, but I like to have my front lawn. Um, kind
2: of whimsical and fantasy land that's nice
3: yeah
2: do you you think in the order of ethereal beings there are different ones like do you think there is a difference between the fair folk or the fairies and the gnomes and the pixies or do you think they're just different interpretations of the same type of beings
3: oh i don't know they could be but they all, have, they all do different things because not all of them are tricksters. A lot of them are there to teach you lessons and stuff. I, at least that's what I've read. So,
2: And there's like things like house brownies that supposedly help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: But didn't we, didn't we have one last year, at Midwest Weird Fest, that was about house brownies?
2: Oh, we had that movie where they got annoyed and they, they planned to destroy the whole world or something.
3: That was a cool one. I can't remember the name of it. I think
2: it was. I think it was vague. It was vague. Good neighbors. Is that what it was called? The good
3: neighbors.
2: Yeah. A short film because we did the fairy short program last year at the festival.
3: Yeah, yeah. The changeling that was freaky.
2: Yeah, there's some. There's something which really resonates with these stories. I think Mm -hmm. it's because we remember. I wonder if it resonates cross culturally. Like I wonder if it resonates with you and I so much because that's a part of our ancestral memory or i wonder if it, it it resonates with people regardless of where they're actually from you know like maybe maybe their legends from their land resonate with them i have no i know jung talked about collective unconsciousness but he also i think talked about specific racial memories like certain groups had traditions which impacted them more. i wonder if that's one of the reasons i'm so fascinated i mean i have no idea i'm just
0: well,
3: throwing, me growing, growing up, I never had, we we never talked about stories like that because I grew up in Baptist family. So we just didn't talk about things like that. But you, like, might it have wasn't ancestral.
2: Of, you might have had some kind of like deep DNA memory. That's what I'm could, saying.
3: Could, could be. Because I mean, even when I was a little kid, I was always digging in the earth, looking for the people that lived underneath it. Get so, out, really? Yeah, I was obsessed. Like I always thought when I got older, I was going to be an archeologist or something because that's what I would do. If I had no friends to play with, I was digging in the ground, looking for the other world.
2: You were looking for the Daryl shaver style.
3: I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew, I just thought for sure. And then remember one time I found some glass. I might've been with my cousin. I don't know if my cousin, Leslie, remember this or not, but I did it with her too. And we were digging and I remember saying, look, look, there's glass. Like, is that, is that, is that another world? I always thought there was one underneath us. Wow but That's we a, couldn't break it. It was a big piece. It was a big piece of glass. I don't even know what it was. And I didn't dig that far. I mean, it was just probably just randomly placed there and but
2: you know I had I had a weird dream once. I don't know if I've ever talked about this dream because it seems so irrelevant, but you know how sometimes you have some dreams and they seem significant and you have some dreams and it's just ridiculous. Like you're back in high school and you forgot to wear your pants and you're in your underwear. And it's the final exam and you're running late or something. Like there's those kind of ridiculous kind mm-hmm. of dreams, right? Yeah. And then there's dreams which seem to have some, I don't know, some big resonance. I had a dream once and it seemed to have some broader, almost, revelatory or apocalyptic significance. And it was that a farmer dug up some cable and then people realized there was this weird cable network under the whole planet. Like it was this crisscrossing almost spiderweb thing just below. Hmm. Now I don't actually think there's a crisscrossing spiderweb cable thing, but maybe that is tapping into some older tradition the same way as when you were little and you were digging and you thought there was something. Under there, the same way when Richard Shaver heard voices from under there, or when Richard Shaver dug out rocks and cut them in half and thought they were rock books which told an ancient history, hmm. like an Atlantean type history, by cutting a rock in half and then looking at it and seeing what he thought were figures in there. There's been this history of people looking below the earth and back to Ireland again because it's St. Patrick's Day. The idea that the fair folk lived in the forts, the fairy forts, and the hills, or beneath the fairy forts and beneath yeah. the hills. Mm-hmm. There is something potent about the idea of a subterranean species coexisting with us. Oh, yeah. There's,
3: there's tons of stories. I mean, if you want to talk about
2: aliens, too, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Your underground bases, underground mm-hmm. alien bases. In fact, in the film we played at Midwest Wind, Fest this year from Ron James, Accidental Truth, which won best documentary and hopefully will be available for everybody to see in the not too distant future. It gets to the stage in that movie where finally ufology, and again, this is from MUFON, which is the biggest, most significant private or civilian, you know, UFO investigation group in the world, which never would have talked about these more strange metaphysical type things that maybe. That some of these things are on Earth, beneath the the Earth itself, beneath the waters. Hal Putoff, who's one of the founders of To the Stars Academy, with, with Tom DeLong, wrote a paper I think last year called I don't know, like the Ultra Terrestrial Hypothesis or something not speaking about ultra terrestrial so much the way perhaps John Keel talked about them being like a weird energy type thing, but that there was something here potentially on this earth. He didn't say this was for sure, but he presented how do you look potentially at discovering if these things are here? What kind of models can you lay down that these things might be living amongst us? The late Mac Tonnies, who I think he came from Kansas city as well. It came from somewhere near you. His posthumous book the crypto terrestrial suggested something similar fairy faith suggests something similar the shaver mystery suggests something similar my dream your childhood desire to dig into the dirt to find (laughs) these other people there is a long yeah there's a long history you're absolutely right of people thinking there might be something somehow right there right beneath our feet Mm -hmm. yeah
4: makes sense to me
2: Do you think that's scarier than them being from, like, outer space?
3: Well, the unknown's scary, but I find anything unknown fascinating, so.
2: Oh, me too. Me too. How do you think people, what do you think would be scary for the public? Let's rephrase that. Do you think (laughs) Mm -hmm. tomorrow there was an announcement? Yes, there are extraterrestrials. Here's the giant ship hovering above New York City and we're filming it on showing it on CNN and Fox News and everything else? Or the government came forward and said, yes, we know we have a crash at Roswell and ETs have been coming here from Zeta Reticular for however long. Or do you think it would be scarier if there was an announcement living underneath our feet and in the Earth's oceans are non-human but humanoid creatures which are behind, the extra ter- behind what we've thought of as extraterrestrial technology? They're the real things behind the flying saucers. What do you think would be harder for people to deal with?
3: I don't know. With this day and age, most people don't even believe the media, so it might take them a while to even go. Are, are they saying
2: what? Oh, I are wouldn't you... believe either. But I'm just, I'm just trying to put. I'm just, I'm just trying to present <laughs> the two hypotheses. Like, what would be the scarier for the masses? You know, for most people, would it be scary that ETs were visiting, or that there was a kind of a fairy-like or chavarian like or however you want to think of them? This other species that coexisted next to us on this planet for right. thousands of
3: years. I guess it depends on what part of the world they're at, because there's some people that would be completely afraid of the aliens, and then there's some people that are used to those type of creatures, especially with mythology, so they already believe that they exist, so they wouldn't be scared. So I think in America, um, it might freak people out if there were actually aliens, because we've got enough movies like Independence Day or, or, or what is that other one with Tom Cruise in it, <laughs> War of the Worlds or what is it? Uh,
2: yeah, War of the Worlds, the, the yeah. modern adaptation.
3: Yeah, they might go to that and start thinking that stuff and freak out.
2: Well, you make a good point. The pump's been primed recently culturally for them to be extraterrestrial. Mm. But historically, the pump had been primed even more that something like this lived Beside us, or again, under our feet or under the waters, like the Mm -hmm. traditional belief system for every ancient story of you know, star brothers coming down from the heavens, which the ET people always get excited about when they find some example in you know, Native American folklore talking about. There are far more stories about things just living here, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. like under the hills in Ireland, or you know beneath the earth, wherever. That's a, that's a far more common folkloric narrative. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. anymore. You're right. The new folkloric narrative is the non-human humanoids are from the stars. Well, the old folkloric narrative was the non-human humanoids are living right next to us or yeah. separated by a very thin veil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like the fourth
4: dimension.
3: Like I even sent you a video about that. Uh, that one kid explaining it. And it is fascinating because, yep. you know, we don't, even though we're in a third dimension, I think, what was it? We we don't even look at things in a third dimension anyways. We look at it as a second dimension or, or how we uh, view things. So if you're in a fourth dimension, um, then you can actually see through everything. Like there's no, you can see through the walls. You can see through so they're able to view us, but we can't view them. So I just I don't know. It is very interesting.
2: Yeah, like the the idea that if there was a two dimensional intelligence, like if something looked mm-hmm. at a two dimension, just like a even a piece of paper is really three dimensional right. because there is, you know, there is a kind of a width to it, even though it might be a millimeter or whatever. But the idea of we can imagine what a two dimension is, just you know length and i don't know breadth and then there maybe you know yeah. let's forget we thought together but just that and if a hand if my hand went through that two-dimensional world they'd never see my whole hand they'd see like five prongs coming down and then they'd mm-hmm. see what's the palm it would be just this big kind of overly thing and then there'd be mm-hmm. a long you know cylinder like my elbow they would never see the whole thing because Mm-mm. they can only see two dimensions yeah. so yeah maybe when we see something mm-hmm. from elsewhere we're not even perceiving what its reality no, is we're just no. perceiving how it impacts our reality
3: mm-hmm. well that's the same thing with the paranormal when people see ghosts and apparitions you never see the full body sometimes you don't even see legs sometimes you'll see a floating head so it's just whatever's pierced the veil that's what we we get to see so it is pretty freaky a lot of people all freak out and that's something i have to remind myself if i see something that doesn't make sense i have to kind of stop myself and say just wait a minute you're just not absorbing it yet like give it give it a second and and uh, not don't freak yourself out um but and we even talked about that last week so last week with um
2: Justin Skilling. yeah he was a great yeah. guest
3: yeah and so he even talked about seeing something too that would just peer out you know the his, his parents uh bedroom door so you know and i've experienced weird stuff like that too just seeing things just a little bit and not knowing what it is so
2: but you used to be scared when you were little, but I just guess you had was, so many experiences.
3: Mm, yeah, I was, I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of the dark. I mean, I would see things in the, the uh, hallway door. Like, I would always have to have my door open, and I had a thing where <laughs> there was no way I was going to sleep with my back towards the door. It just was not going to happen. And now, I don't care. Uh, it doesn't bother me now. I have to make sure my door's shut. I don't like to sleep with the door open anymore. When I was a kid, it had to be open. Now I don't want it open. That way I can hear it if
2: the door opens. <laughs> um, I understand. I understand. <laughs> no, I do. I, I told yeah. you. I, I've told you my home invasion story when I was in mm-hmm. Sydney, right? Where I was asleep late in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I th- those were the days where I was far more athletic. I used to like lift the weights and train. I was having basically an afternoon nap. It was in my college days, resting yeah. my muscles and somebody opened my door and I thought it was a friend at first and yelled abuse at them. What are you doing? Waking me up. And then they slammed the door and I realized there was somebody like was a home invasion.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, I, don't like the idea. And it was only because I used to, this is how paranoid I was, I guess, I don't mm-hmm. know, I was in my 20s or something. I had a chair in front of the door because there was no lock on it. And I was used to, I don't do that anymore, but I used to put a chair in front of my door. It's only because he opened it and hit the chair because I had a big fan. It was summer in Sydney. So I had this fan going. I didn't have central mm-hmm. AC. Almost nobody has central AC in Sydney. I wouldn't even have heard him because the fan was like a white noise. It was yeah. only that chair that made me like pop up because he pushed against the, the chair. Yeah. But that wasn't mm-hmm. paranormal. But yeah, anything entering one's room when somebody's sleeping is yeah. terrifying.
3: Yeah, thing. you want to be able to hear it. Even I do the same thing too. I, I have to have white noise. So my fan's on full blast. So it's got to make quite a bit of noise to get my attention, anyways. But I'm so used to hearing little noises that I want to sleep through because I'm just so used to it. Um, but I, I like to keep the door shut. And I have three, like, I have what? You no, know, I have four doors in my bedroom. It's ridiculous. So they all are shut. And then I have a mirror in my room. I wish I didn't, but I have a big one. And then my makeup mirror faces it. So at nighttime, um, something always tells me, uh, turn the other mirror up because I don't want the mirrors facing each other. Cause I don't want like a vortex or portal or whatever. So <laughs> I'll turn it up and then I'll probably put something over it and, uh, I don't know. Those are things I have to do now to make sure nothing's going through. Because I think doors are portals. Like, even when you see a, you know, the metaphor or anything like that, where you see like a door in the middle of the woods, you know, it's not just a door in the middle of the woods. That's most likely like a, a portal. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I take it a little too seriously with doorways. No, I understand. And speaking, perhaps. Well, yeah. There you go. I, it just made me think of the fae because they, there's a, a group of them that supposedly stay in the doorways and don't, you don't ever stand in the middle of a door because that's where their world is.
2: Huh? Yeah. I was about to tell a fairy story as well. Again, an Eddie Lennon story yeah. about how you're not meant to build your house in Ireland on a fairy route, which is between two fairy forts mm-hmm. and somebody in one of Eddie's stories did. And, they house they'd wake up every night with this incredibly loud noise like things just like banging and people they'd run downstairs there'd be nothing there and eventually somebody came and said no look there's a fort up there and look down there there's a fort there and you've built your house right in the middle of the line between the forts the fairies mm-hmm. are going back and forth every night between their locations and so then they had to they they i don't know if they made as separate, like separate doors, which lined up, or they just opened the front and the back door. But for whatever reason, they would have doors which would open and let the fairies yeah. through, and there was no more, no more, being awoken or disturbed. The fairies would just go through the house. Then, huh? We have to have Eddie Lernerhan on. That's got to yeah. be like the, the yeah. must-do this year. He's such a yeah. nice man. He was very, he was very kind and grateful, and he's one of my favorite authors. So, oh, we, yeah, we need to get him on this um this year mm-hmm. for sure. That'd be fun. Yeah. So do you have any farewell for this St. Patrick's Day for our lovely audience? Anything farewell, like a farewell story? or Yeah, anything.
3: We're, we're not going for the ending, are we? What time is it? <laughs> not we're, yeah, we're is almost done now.
2: Yeah, it's like 57 minutes. That's why I gave you a chance to say, um, like, if you had anything you wanted to say at the end.
3: I don't know. I guess just you know, pay attention to your surroundings. I don't
2: know. It's good advice when it
3: comes to the, the the faith folk.
2: Yeah, you should. I don't. If it was a Halloween show, I could say something far more menacing than mm. Saint, you know on St. Patrick's Day, like you know, if you've got elf shot, keep it close or keep the candles oh, burning or something. I think you've but
3: done that before.
2: <laughs> I, I know <laughs> that I've done that before, but on St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> this is a time where those pagan traditions were chased out of Ireland, so perhaps. It's the, Maybe it's the one day on the Irish calendar you don't have to worry about those old stories. Maybe. I don't know if that's comforting or sad.
3: I don't know. Yeah.
2: I'm torn, to be honest. You're torn. <laughs> yes, because I'm a Christian, but I also love the old stories of the Fair Folk. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what can you say? I guess you can't really say anything, but thank you, everybody, for spending some of your st patrick's day weekend with us if you're watching or listening afterwards thank you for spending whatever time you did with us and i guess from me all i can really say is keep it weird
3: keep it weird